0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ana Sofia de Portugal, *The Last of the Mohicans* by James Fenimore Cooper, Chapter Eleven. Cursed be my tribe if I forgive him, Shylock. The Indian had selected for this desirable purpose one of those steep pyramidal hills. Which bear a strong resemblance to artificial mounds, and which so frequently occur in the valleys of America. The one in question was high and precipitous, its top flattened, as usual, but with one of its sides more than ordinarily irregular. It possessed no other apparent advantages for a resting place than in its elevation and form, which might render defence easy, and surprise nearly impossible. As Hayward, however, no longer expected that rescue which time and distance now rendered so improbable, he regarded these little peculiarities with an eye devoid of interest, devoting himself entirely to the comfort and condolence of his feebler companions. The Narragansetts were suffered to browse on the branches of the trees, and shrubs that were thinly scattered over the summit of the hill, while the remains of their provisions were spread under the shade of a beech that stretch its horizontal limbs like a canopy above them. Notwithstanding the swiftness of their flight, one of the Indians had found an opportunity to strike a strangling fawn with an arrow, and had borne the more preferable fragments of the victim, patiently on his shoulders, to the stopping place. Without any aid from the science of cookery, he was immediately employed, in common with his fellows, in gorging himself with his digestible sustenance magua alone set apart without participating in the revolting meal and apparently buried in the deepest thought this abstinence so remarkable in an indian when he possessed the means of satisfying hunger at least attracted notice of ayward the young man willingly believed that the huron deliberated on the most eligible manner of eluding the vigilance of his associates with a view to assist his plans by any suggestion of his own and to strengthen the temptation, he left the beach and straggled as if without an object to the spot where Le Renard was seated. Has not Margwa kept sun in his face long enough to escape all dangers from the Canadians? He asked, as though no longer doubtful of the good intelligence established between them and will not chief of william henry be better place to see his daughters before another knight may have hardened his heart to their loss to make him less sliver in his reward do the pale faces love their children less in the morning than at night asked the indian coldly by no means returned ayward anxious to recall his error if he had made one the white man may and does often forget burial place of his fathers, he sometimes ceases to remember those he should love and as has promised to cherish, but the affection of a parent for his child is never permitted to die and is the heart of the white-headed chief soft and nearly think of the babes that his squaws have given him. He is hard on his, his warriors, and his eyes are made of stone he is severe to the idle and wicked but to the sovereign deserving he is a leader both just and humane i have known many fond and tender parents but never have i seen a man whose heart was softer toward his child you have seen the gray head in front of his warriors magua but i have seen his eyes swimming in water when he spoke of those children who are now in your power hey, paused. For he knew not how to construe the remarkable expression that gleamed across the swarthy features of the attentive Indian. At first, it seemed as if the remembrance of the promised reward grew vivid in his mind, while he listened to the sources of parental feeling, which were to assure his possession. But, as Duncan proceeded, the expression of joy became so fiercely malignant that it was impossible not to apprehend it proceeded from some passion more sinister than avarice. Go said the euron suppressing the alarming exhibition in an instant in a death-like calmness of countenance go to dark-haired daughter and say magua waits to speak the father will remember what the child promises duncan who interpreted this speech to express a wish for some additional pledge that the promised gifts should not be withheld slowly and reluctantly repaired to the place where the sisters were now resting from their fatigue she communicated its purpose to Cora. You understand the nature of an Indian's wishes, he concluded, as he led her toward the place where she was expected. I must be prodigal of your offers of power and blankets. Ardent spirits are, however, the most prized by such as he. Nor would it be amiss to add some boon from your own hand with that grace you so well know how to practice. Remember, Cora, that on your presence of mind and ingenuity, even your life, as well as that of Alice, may in some measure depend. Heyward and yours? Mine is of little moment. It is already sold to my king, and is a to be seized by any enemy who may possess the power. I have no father to expect me, and but few friends to lament a fate which I have courted with the insatiable longings of youth after distinction. But hush, we approach the Indian. Magua, the lady with whom you wish to speak is here. The Indian rose slowly from his seat and stood for nearly a minute silent and motionless. He then signaled with his hand to Hayward to retire, saying coldly, "When a talks to the woman, you strive to shut their ears." Duncan still lingering as if refusing to comply, chorused said with a calm smile, "You hear Hayward and delicacy at least should urge you to retire. Go to Alice and comfort her with your reviving prospects." She waited until he departed, and then, turning to the native, with the dignity of her sex in her voice and manner, she added, ''What would Renard say to the daughter of Monroe?'' ''Listen,'' said the Indian, laying his hand firmly upon her arm, as if willing to draw her utmost attention to his words. A moment that Cora as firmly but quietly repulsed by extricating the limb from his grasp. Magua was born a chief and a warrior among the red urans of the lakes. He saw the suns of twenty summers make the snows of twenty winters run off in the streams before he saw a pale face, and he was happy. Then his Canada fathers came into the woods and taught him to drink the fire water, and he became a rascal. The Hurons drove him from the graves of his fathers, and they would chase the hunted buffalo. He ran down the shores of the lake and followed their outlet to the city of Cannon. There he hunted and fished, till the people chased him again through the woods into the harms of his enemies. The chief, who was born a Huron, was at last a warrior among the Mohawks. Something like this I had heard before said cora observing that he paused to suppress those passions which began to burn with too bright a flame as he recalled the recollection of his supposed injuries was it fault of the that his head was not made of rock who gave him the fire-water who made him a villain twas the pale faces the people of your own color am i answerable that thoughtfulness and unprincipled men exist whose shades of countenance may resemble mine Corrie calmly demanded of the excited savage. No, Magua is a man, and not a fool. Such as you never opened their lips to the burning stream. The great spirit has given you a wisdom. What, then, have I to do, or say, in the matter of your misfortunes, not to say of your errors? Listen, repeated the Indian, resuming his earnest attitude. When his English and French father's dug up thatchet, the Leonard struck the war-post of the Mohawks, and went out against his own nation. The pale-faces have driven the red skins from their hunting-grounds, and now, when they fight, a white man leads the way. The old chief at Horican, your father, was the great captain of our war-party. He said to the Mohawks to do this, and do that, and he was minded he made a law that if an indian swallowed fire-water and came into the cloth to ones of his warriors it should not be forgotten mawa foolishly opened his mouth and hot liquor led him into the cabin of monroe what did the gray head let his daughter say he forgot not his words and did justice by punishing the offender said the other daughter justice repeated the indian casting an oblique glance of the most ferocious expression at her unyielding countenance. Is it justice to make evil and then punish for it? Magua was not himself. It was Firewar that spoke and acted for him. But Monroe did believe it. The Huron chief was tied up before all the pale-faced warriors and wept like a dog. Cora remained silent for she knew not how to palliate this imprudent severity on the part of her father in a manner to suit the comprehension of an indian See," si, continued magua tearing aside the slight calico that very imperfectly concealed his painted breast here are scars given by knives and bullets of these a warrior may boast before his nation but gray head as left marks on the back of the huron chief that he must hide like a squaw under this painted cloth of the whites. ''I had thought,'' resumed Cora, ''that an Indian warrior was patient, and that his spirit felt not and knew not pain his body suffered. When the chippo was tied Magua to the stake and cut his gash,'' said the other, laying his finger on a deep scar, the urine laughed in their faces and told them, Women struck so light. His spirit was then in the clouds. But when he felt the blows of Monroe, his spirit lay under the birch. The spirit of Urin is never drunk. It remembers forever. But it may be appeased. If my father has done you this injustice, show him how an Indian can forgive an injury and take back his daughters. You have heard from Major Hayward. Magua shook his head, forbidding the repetition of offers he so much despised. "'What would you have?' continued Cora, after a most painful pause, while the conviction forced itself on her mind that the too sanguine and generous Duncan had been cruelly deceived by the cunning of the savage. "'What a huron loves! Good for good, bad for bad!' "'You would, then, revenge the injury inflicted by Monroe on his helpless daughters. Would it not be more like a man to go before his face and take the satisfaction of a warrior?' The arms of the pale faces are long, and their knives sharp, returned the Savage, with a malignant laugh. Why should Lorenard go among the muskets of these warriors when he holds the spirit of the grey head in his hand? Name your intention, Magua, said Cora, struggling with herself to speak with steady calmness. Is it to lead us prisoners to the woods, or do you contemplate even some greater evil? Is there no reward? No means of palliating the injury and so softening your heart. At least, release my gentle sister and pour out all your malice on me. Purchase wealth by her safety and satisfy your revenge with a single victim. The loss of both his daughters might bring the aged man to his grave, and where would then be the satisfaction of the Leonardo? Listen, said the Indian again, the light eyes can go back to the hurricane and tell the old chief what has been done if the dark-haired woman will swear by the great spirit of her father to tell no lie. What must I promise? demanded Cora, still maintaining a secret ascendancy over the fierce native by the collected and feminine dignity of her presence. When Magul left his people, his wife was given to other chief. He has now made friends with the Urans, and will go back to the graves of his tribe on the shores of the Great Lake. Let the horrid English chief follow, and live in his weekend forever. However revolting a proposal of such a character might prove to Cora, she retained, notwithstanding her powerful disgust, sufficient self-command to reply, without betraying the weakness. And what pleasure would Magua find in sharing his cabin with a wife he did not love, one who could be of a nation and colour different from his own? It would be better to take the gold of Monroe and buy the heart of some urine maid with these gifts. The Indian man reply for near a minute, but met his fierce looks on the countenance of Cora in such a wearing glances that her eyes sank with shame, under the impression that for the first time they had encountered an expression that no chast female might endure. While she was shrinking within herself. In dread of having her ears wounded by some proposals still more shocking than the last, the voice of Magua answered, in its tones of deepest malignancy. When the blow scorched the back of the huron, he would know where to find a woman to feel the smart. The of Monroe would draw his water, hoe his corn, and cook his venison. The body of the grey head would sleep among his cannon, but his heart would lie within reach of the knife of Lesabdil. Monster, well dost thou deserve thy treacherous name!" cried Cora in an ungovernable burst of filial indignation. None but a fiend could meditate such a vengeance, but thou hoverest thy power. It shall find that it is, in truth, the heart of Monroe you hold, and that it will defy your utmost malice. The Indian answered this bold defiance with a ghastly smile that showed an unnotable purpose while he motioned her away, as if to close the conference forever. Cora, already regretting her precipitation, was obliged to comply, for Magua instantly left the spot and approached his glutinous comrades. Hayward flew to the side of the agitated female, and demanded the result of a dialogue that he had watched at a distance with so much interest. But, unwilling to alarm the fears of Alice, she evaded a direct reply, betraying only by her anxious looks fastened on the slightest movements of her captors. To the reiterated and earnest questions of her sister concerning their probable destination, she made no other answer than by pointing toward the dark group with an agitation she could not control and murmuring as she folded Alice to her bosom. There, there, we are fortunate in their faces. We shall see. We shall see. The action and the choked uterus of Coram, spoke more impressively than any words, and quickly drew the attention of her companions on that spot where her own was reverted with an intenseness that nothing but the importance of the state would create. When Magua reached the cluster of lolling savages, who, gouged with their disgusting meal, lay stretched on the earth in brutal indulgence, he commenced speaking with the dignity of an Indian chief. The first syllables he uttered had the effect to cause his listeners to raise themselves in attitudes of respectful attention. As the urine used his native language, the prisoners, notwithstanding the caution of the natives that kept them within the swing of their tomahawks, could only conjecture the substance of his harangue from the nature of those significant gestures with which an Indian always illustrates his eloquence. At first. The language, as well as the action of Magua, appeared calm and deliberative. When he had succeeded in sufficiently awakening the attention of his comrades, Heyward fancied, by his pointing so frequently towards the direction of the Great Lakes, that he spoke of the land of their fathers and of their distant tribe. Frequent indications of applause escaped listeners, who, as they uttered the expression UGH, looked at each other in commendation of the speaker leonard was too skilful to neglect his advantage he now spoke of the long and painful route by which they had left those spacious grounds and happy villages to come in battle against enemies of their canadian fathers he enumerated the warriors of the party their several merits their frequent services to the nation their wounds and number of scalps they had taken whenever he alluded to any present and subtle indian neglected none The dark countenance of the flattered individual gleamed with exultation, nor did he even hesitate to assert the truth of the words by gestures of applause and confirmation. Then the voice of the speaker fell, and lost loud animated tones of triumph with which he had enumerated their deeds of success and victory. He described the cataract of clans the impregnable position of its rocky islands, with its caverns and its numerous rapids and whirlpools, he named the name of Laton Carabine, and paused until the forest beneath them had sent up the last echo of a loud and long yell, with which the hated appellation was received. He pointed towards the youthful military captive, and described the death of a favorite warrior, who had been precipitated into the deep ravine by his hand he not only mentioned fate of him who hanging between heaven and earth had presented such a spectacle of horror to the whole band but he acted anew the terrors of his situation his resolution and his death on the branches of slapping and finally he rapidly recounted the manner in which each of their friends had fallen never failing to touch upon their courage and their most acknowledged virtues when this recital of events was ended His voice once more changed, and became plaintive and even musical in its low guttural sounds. He now spoke of the wives and children of the slain, their destitution, their misery, both physical and moral, their distance, and, at last, of their unavenged wrongs. Then, suddenly lifting his voice to a pitch of terrific energy, he concluded by demanding, Are you and the dogs to bear this? Who shall say to the wife of Menagua that fishes have his scalp and that his nation have not taken revenge? who will dare meet Mother of Wasawatimi, that scornful woman with his hands clean? What shall be said of the old men when they ask us for scalps, and we have not a hair from a white HEAD to give them? The women will point their fingers at us. There is a dark spot on the names of errands, and it must be hid in blood his voice was no longer audible in the burst of rage which now broke into the air as if the wood instead of containing so small a band was filled with nation during the foregoing address the progress of the speaker was too plainly read by those most interested in his success through the medium of the countenances of the men he addressed they had answered his melancholy and mourning by sympathy and sorrow his assertions by gestures of confirmation and his boasting with the exultation of savages. When he spoke of courage, their looks were firm and responsive. When he alluded to their injuries, their eyes kindled with fury. When he mentioned the taunts of the women, they dropped their heads in shame. But when he pointed out their means of vengeance, he struck a sword which never failed to thrill in the breast of an Indian. With first intimation that it was within their reach, the whole band sprung up on their feet as one man, Giving utterance to their rage in the most frantic cries, they rushed upon their prisoners in the body, which drew knives and uplifted tomahawks. Hayward threw himself between the sisters and the foremost, whom he grappled with a desperate strength that, for a moment, checked his violence. This unexpected resistance gave Magua time to interpose, and with rapid enunciation and animated gesture, he drew the attention of the band again to himself. In that language he knew so well how to assume, he diverted his comrades from their instant purpose, and invited them to prolong the misery of their victims. His proposal was received with acclamations, and executed with stiffness of thought. Two powerful warriors cast themselves on Award, while another was occupied in securing the less active singing master. Neither of the captives, however, submitted without a desperate, though fruitless, struggle. Even David hurled his assailants to the earth, nor was Edward secured until the victory over his companion enabled the Indians to direct their united force to that object. He was then bound and fastened to the body of the sapling, on whose branches Magua had acted the pantomime of falling urine. When the young soldier regained his recollection, he had the painful certainty before his eyes that a common fate was intended for the whole party on his right was cora in a durance similar to his own pale and agitated within an eye whose steady look still read the proceedings of their enemies on his left the withes which bound her to a pine performed their office for alice which her trembling limbs refused and alone kept her fragile form from sinking her hands were clasped before her in prayer but instead of looking upward towards that power which alone could rescue them her unconscious looks wandered to the countenance of duncan with infantile dependency david had counted and the novelty of circumstance held him silent in deliberation of the propriety of the unusual occurrence the vengeance of the urans had now taken a new direction and they prepared to execute it with that barbarous ingenuity with which they were familiarized by the practice of centuries. Some sought not to raise the blazing pile, one was riving splinters of pine, in order to pierce the flesh of their captives with the burning fragments, and the other bent the tops of two saplings to the earth, in order to suspend the hayward by the arms between the recalling branches. But the ventures of Magua sought a deeper and more malignant enjoyment. While the less refined monsters of the band prepared, before the eyes of those who were to suffer these well known and vulgar means of torture, he approached Cora and pointed out, with the most malign expression of countenance, the speedy fate that awaited her. Ha! he added, what says the daughter of Monroe? Her head is too good to find a pillow in the e-game of Le Renard. Will she like it better when it rolls about this hill, a plaything for the wolves? Her bosom cannot. Nursed children of a huron. She'll see it split open by Indians. What means the monster? demanded the astonished sheward. Nothing was firm reply. He is a savage, a barbarous and ignorant savage, and knows not what he does. Let us find leisure with our dying breath to ask for his penitence and pardon. Pardon echoed fierce Huron mistaking in his anger the meaning of her words. The memory of an Indian is not longer than the harm of the pale faces. His mercy shortened than their justice. Say, shall I send the yellow hair to her father, and duly follow Magua to the Great Lakes, to carry his water, and feed him with corn? Cora beckoned him away, with an emotion of disgust she could not control. Leave me, she said, with a solemnity that for a moment checked the barbarity of the indian you mingle bitterness in my prayers you stand between me and my god the slight impression produced on savage was however soon forgotten as he continued pointing with taunting irony toward alice look the child weeps she is too young to die Send her to monroe to comb his gray hairs and keep life in the heart of the old man Cora could not resist the desire to look upon her youthful sister, in whose eyes she met an imploring glance, that betrayed the longings of nature. ''What says he, dearest Cora?'' asked the trembling voice of Alice. ''Did he speak of sending me to our father?'' For many moments the elder sister looked upon younger, with a countenance that waved with powerful and contending emotions. At length she spoke. Her tones had lost a rich and calm in an expression of tenderness that seemed maternal. ''Alice,'' she said, ''the Euron offers us both life, nay, more than both. He offers to restore Duncan, our invaluable Duncan, as well as you, to our friends, to our father, to our heart-stricken, childless father if I will blow down this rebellious, stubborn pride of mine, and consent. Her voice became choked, and, clasping her hands, she looked upward, as if seeking, in her agony, intelligence from a wisdom that was infinite. "'Say on,' cried Alice, "'to what, dearest Cora! Oh, that the proffer were made to me! To save you, to cheer our aged father, to restore Duncan, how cheerfully could I die!' Die," repeated cora with a calm and firm voice that were easy perhaps the alternative may not be less so he would have me she continued her accent sinking under a deep consciousness of degradation of the proposal follow him into the wilderness go to the habitations of the urans to remain there in short to become his wife speak then alice child of my affections sister of my love and you too major hayward aid my weak reason with our counsel His life to be purchased by such a sacrifice will you alice receive it at my hands at such a price and you duncan give me it between you for i am wholly yours would i echoed the indignant and astonished Hughes. cora cora you jest with our misery Name not the horrid alternative again. The thought itself is worth than a thousand deaths." ''That such should be your answer, I well knew,'' exclaimed Cora, her cheeks flushing and her dark eyes once more sparkling with lingering motions of a woman. What says my Hellest? For her will I submit without another murmur. Although both Hayward and Cora listened with painful suspense and the deepest attentions, no sounds were heard in reply. It appeared as if the delicate and sensitive form of Alice would shrink into itself, as she listened to this proposal. Her arms had fallen lengthwise before her, the fingers moving in slight convulsions. Her head dropped upon her bosom, and her whole person seemed suspended against a tree, looking like some beautiful emblem of the wound and delicacy of her sex, devoid of animation and yet keenly conscious. In a few moments, however, a head began to move slowly, in a sign of deep, unconquerable disapprobation. No, no, no! Better than we die as we have lived, together! Then die! shouted Magua, hurling his tomahawk with violence at an unresisting speaker, and gnashing his teeth with a rage that could no longer be bridled at this sudden exhibition of firmness in the one he believed the weakest of the party. The axe cleaved in the air in front of Hayward, and cutting some of the flowing rings of Alex, quivered the tree above her head. The sight maddened Duncan to desperation. Collecting all his energies in one effort, he snapped the twigs which bound him and rushed upon another savage, who was preparing, with loud yells and a more deliberate aim, to repeat the blow. They encountered, grappled, and fell to the earth together. The naked body of his antagonist afforded Hayward no means of holding his adversary, who glided from his grasp, and rose again with one knee on his chest, pressing him down with the weight of his giant. Duncan already saw the knife gleaming in the air, when a whistling sound swept past him, and was rather accompanied than followed by the sharp crack of a rifle. He felt his breast relief from the load it had endured. He saw the savage expression of his adversary's countenance change to a look of vacant wildness when the Indian fell dead on the faded leaves by his side. End of chapter Eleven.